Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello and welcome. Crystal Arnold here, your hostess of the Money Wise Women Show and founder of Money Morphosis. Today, so pleased to have our guest, uh, Leora Adler, with us. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about her shortly. I want to say, first of all, um, I am so inspired by um, speaking with her and our exchange and perspectives coming from very different generations. She is actually exactly twice my age, 70 years old, and I just turned 35. And so uh, there is so much richness and depth that comes from different generations uh, sharing and building understanding and perspective. And um, we have incredible opportunities um, as women to really redesign how business is done, how education happens, how we live together in community and cooperate to create greater resilience for ourselves individually, for our families, and within our communities. And um, she has really been a pioneer in this over the last 50 years. And um, so we'll get right to uh, introducing her here. Alejandra Leora Adler, a master's in education. She's been a visionary social activist, facilitator, psychologist, holistic nutritionist, event organizer, photographer, and dancer. And she was born in the era of the 60s in uh, America and came to understand uh, that protest alone was inadequate for making substantive social changes uh, for society. And so consequently, in the 70s and 80s, Leora explored uh, intentional community as a means to create a basis for culture that both provided for physical needs and the basic human need to belong in an intimate, purposeful community. So she has shared her experience and knowledge in 30 countries as a member of the board of directors of the Global Eco Village Network, um, its representative to the UN, and she has also co-founded two eco-village projects in Latin America. And with Andrew Langford, she co-founded Gaia University, which is now in its 10th year supporting eco-social designers in the creation of regenerative livelihoods. So she lives in California, where she and Andrew are also researching the dry farming of almonds and the creation of water retention landscapes um, to um, 
provide more uh, regenerative farming practices. And she and her husband serve on the board of the Global Village Institute. Institute. And I say she is a wise and well-respected, um, globally renowned uh, leader and social visionary. And I am so pleased to have her with us here today. Um, welcome, Leora. Thank you, Crystal. Wonderful introduction. Yes. Thank you. So, you know, in your lifelong service and dedication to social change, um, what do you find most exciting and satisfying about your work and service? Well, I have two main projects, as I've told you. One is Guy University, and that's the one that uh, has been my latest project and thought I thought it was going to be my capstone project, but we'll go more on to the other project later. But I would say that in Guy University, it's seeing the results of the work that we have been doing, um, the work that our students have been doing, the ripple effect, uh, the ways in which they have incorporated the uh, thinking, the experiences, the action learning methodology into their lives and are able to therefore create more impact into the world. Mm. And I know many of uh, associates uh, who have gone through the program and I'm just so amazed in, as well to echo that as, as far as how they really take their work into the world and uh, facilitate uh, positive change. Um, as as we both know, it, it seems like today it's it's not business as usual. We need to have new innovative ways of um, coming together and and creating value. And I'm um, I'm curious, uh, what you know, what common challenges do you see young entrepreneurs and uh, people in your program at Gaia University are facing? Hmm. Uh, I really like that you mentioned the word entrepreneur because I think that that is one of the key issues in our movement. Uh, Andrew and I attended the International Permaculture Convergence in London uh, last year. We attended the North American Permaculture Convergence. Uh, I've been to an Echoversity conference in Portugal and in Mexico, and in all of these different ambits, uh, I hear the same story from especially young people. We don't have the resources that we need in order to make our projects more powerful. We need to learn how to be entrepreneurs. We need to learn how to get investment and other cap financial capital into our uh, projects in order to make them more substantial, to have more impact and be more strategic in the world. Mm. It is. It is so crucial um, to not only understand money and, and how to manage our personal finances, but then how to also, uh, like you said, get the financial capital needed to really take our business um, to the next level. 
So I'd love to hear more about that, um, that kind of importance of financial capital and your work um, to kind of change the investment landscape and how we think about that. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as you said, I have been at this for just about 50 years. And in the beginning, we uh, didn't really want to deal with money. I think um, people who were in the quote-unquote alternative world in some ways thought money was bad. And it, uh, I can understand that because the use of money is often very negative in the way in which we deal uh, with it. And so we had this negative view around uh, money. We were going to do things without money. We were going to bootstrap. In fact, Guy University is a project that was bootstrapped. We were concerned about not having strings attached to getting investments or donations and so on. Of late, I have a different view of this, and I began to understand that in permaculture, we have three ethics, and these are the ethics that we have been uh, concerned with in Guy University. Uh, it's kind of our niche. If you fit into these ethics, you fit into Guy University. And those three ethics in permaculture are care of the earth, care of people, and a more equitable distribution of resource, uh, resources. Uh, some people call that fair share. And Bill Mollison, who founded Permaculture, he called that a uh, redistribution of surplus. And I began to understand that we have many forms of capital, and financial capital is one of them. And it's neither good nor bad. It's a question of how it's used. And that there is an excess of financial capital in some people's hands, and there is insufficient financial uh, capital in other people's hands. And if we want to make changes, positive world changes, we need to redistribute that financial capital so that young entrepreneurs or older entrepreneurs, doesn't really matter the age, have access to the financial capital as well as to the other capitals, the intellectual and the spiritual and the social and culture and so on, capital. But those are capitals that are not requiring this kind of um, new approach to people's businesses and projects in which we understand that we need more investment into the positive businesses that people are developing now. Mm. So true. I really find that with a lot of creative, purpose-driven entrepreneurs, there's an aversion to the traditional capitalist, you know, <clears throat> uh, culture. And I feel like healing that those um, judgments and you know feelings around that really then open people to generate greater value in their business and um, to use money responsibly and wisely. Um, so what, what um, tell us more about uh, the vision of what is possible with um, changing our investment landscape and getting greater financial capital. 
So uh, recently, with that in mind, uh, my attention was called to a woman called Jenny Casson, who some of you may have heard of. She lives in the Bay Area and was instrumental in the creation of what's called the Jobs Act. And this act makes it possible for small, smaller investors, um, people who can afford to, say, invest $500 or $1,000 into a socially mission-driven business. And uh, instead of needing to have the millions uh, if you are an accredited investor. And so this law just came into effect. And uh, this makes it possible for people to invest in a kind of crowdfunding way into businesses that they believe in, that have shared values. So my attention was drawn to that because I said, hmm, this is more in line with the kind of investment strategies that we might be looking at for our social mission-driven businesses. And I took a weekend course with her, which was called Fund and Fuel Your Dreams. And I was so inspired by her knowledge and her vision that I signed up for a six-month-long program with Levy Joy, who also was a guest on your show and uh, has a lot to say, has a lot of experience in the new economy. And as partners, we have been creating a new business uh, with my husband, Andrew Langford, who's been studying regenerative orchard management uh, creation, actually, because... Uh, I think there's no one else who's really working in this field in quite the way that he's been doing that. And we've been taking a six-month-long program, which is called um, The Right Money from the Right Investors, Looking for the Right Fit, and learning how to set up businesses in a way that they will be legal, compliant, et cetera, and also give us the opportunity to seek investment in a business that can provide a reasonable return on investment. Uh, investors want that, uh, mostly. And yet, we'll also be giving people the opportunity to invest in something that is aligned with their own vision and mission and value system. Hmm. That is so inspiring to know that there is this bigger movement um, for, uh, yeah, more conscious relating with money in this way as entrepreneurs and investors and really looking at the the dynamics of, of that relationship and and how people can really connect with the mutual interest of success and, and prosperity for the endeavor um, you know, so traditionally our, our um, economy has been more of an extractive, um, you know, relationship, and that includes much of the traditional investments. You know, it was uh, profit at the expense of, of the people without interest in the actual environmental or social impacts of the project. And so it really feels like these are new um, you know, uh, templates which can uh, shift the way that we create value as humans together and really manage our resources, including money, but also our our own um, 
uh, well, environmental resources, our own human capital and uh, in, innate genius. And so the ways that we can um, really better uh, coordinate um, all of all of those inputs into outcomes that we all want. Um, you mm-hmm. agree? Oh, absolutely. And I didn't mention, and I think this part is important, is that uh, this course is for women-led businesses. And Jenny really focuses on uh, women-led businesses, businesses led by women of color, and uh, has a real mission to help especially women, to create the businesses that will make a difference in the world. And working with women is a very special part of my life. And I, of course, don't have, well, maybe not, of course, some women do, but I don't really have, you know, I understand that men have lots of challenges, too. And yet working with women is a very significant part of my life and a a joy in my life. I'm part of a women's group, have been for quite a number of years in the different places where I've lived. And I think we as women have something very crucial to share in the world. We have a kind of balance and understanding and consciousness that's very important to and to share, and also we we talked about distress just a little while ago, and I think we as women have a certain kind of stress and internalized oppression, especially that we need to overcome so that we can play big on the world stage and have all of our uh, glorious resources and shining energy. Uh, just really make a huge difference in the world as we know it. Mm. And I really want to honor you as a feminine leader from a time where women were just coming into greater power and uh, and just all the um, success. What what feminine qualities do you feel make you um, a good leader and others? Mm-hmm. So I think that in all things, I'm always looking for balance. And I think that there is a always a balance in the feminine qualities, what we might call feminine qualities. I think leadership has a lot to do with um, Empathy, listening, and clarity, vision. So all of these things need to be in some kind of balance. Lately, I was thinking about what helps build relationships. And I think that building relationships is a key piece of what women seek to do or understand uh, in some intuitive way how to do So it's that kind of balance between intuition and intellect that I think we as women are always seeking uh, in my search to rebuild relationships and to build relationships with people. I came up uh, the other day with a kind of three-step process, which is a loving gaze, which has to do with just 
sending out a very positive energy to other people. Number two is listening, doing more listening than speaking often so that we have that empathic resonance with people and we hear what people want to say and who they are and what their distresses might be and give them a chance to hold that microphone. And then the third piece that I came up with was uh, give people an opportunity to discharge, which in my book means to laugh or to yawn or to go on and on talking about something what in reevaluation counseling, which is a tool that I use to deal with distress, uh, called non-repetitive rapid talking. So I think that women have those tools really um, in a very powerful way. It doesn't mean that men cannot uh, also find them. Uh, I think that men's distresses tend to be somewhat different than women's distresses without overgeneralizing. I think men have a lot of distress around being the provider, being the one who... Uh, has to be the fix-it person who has to be on top of things all the time. Uh, and women's distress has to do with, uh, maybe, oh, men's distress has a lot to do with repressed anger and rage. And women's distress has to do with um, a kind of internalized victim oppression that we might feel from being told through our society that we are somehow less. Mm -hmm. So I think we have that opportunity as women to find that balance between both having a, a really powerful feeling life that enables us to express our emotions cry when we need to discharge that emotion or uh, feel other people's emotions and have that kind of intuitive connection to the all, uh, and also have that very sparkling intellectual and uh, effectiveness piece, the doing piece that uh, gives us that opportunity to be both uh, human beers, beings, and doings. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I love that um, that perspective of balance within each of us and, and that men, too, can cultivate the feminine qualities. And I, I was, uh, you know, I work primarily with women in my uh, workshops, and uh, this summer had several workshops with men as well and oh, to to really sympathize and feel their suffering and pain around what you were articulating there around being the provider and that definition of success um, was really illuminating and it certainly affects um, everyone I've talked to um, has, has had some suffering around money um, and and the the significance of being having the courage to um address our relationship with money in a safe space um i see it again and again it's like a transformational portal 
is opened when people are able to um, move past the shame and the fear and the guilt about their money and the way they handle it and what they were taught about it and and really just um, move into a greater understanding of what's really important to them and and then be able to have conversations, you know, as entrepreneurs um, like us to be able to talk more confidently and effectively and negotiate and really find common ground and focus on on the relationship um, that relationships that sustain us and add vitality to our businesses, um, I feel really is that more feminine way of cooperating and uh, doing business together. Um, do you have any thoughts on the significance of of kind of healing this our shadows around money and and being able to have more authentic communications and and talk about some of this vulnerable stuff together. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that we are all born as very bright, zestful, uh, sponge-like uh, human little beings, and that uh, our intelligence gets occluded as we experience society and the world and that might come from experiences with our parents or it might come with experiences in our educational system and it just might come from looking out at the world and seeing what's going on and I think we can find it very confusing and very discouraging and those kinds of emotional traumas, we might say, or distresses, we carry them through our lives and we recapitulate them in different ways. And I think that we recapitulate them. Um, This is an RC theory and I believe in it, that we recapitulate them as a way to heal them. So we are constantly bringing on ourselves uh, situations or uh, yes, we're calling them in, we're magnetizing them in a certain way that are recapitulations, uh, repeats of the distresses that we have experienced all throughout our lives and that that purpose, if we might say that there is purpose to the experiences that we have, which I do believe, um, those experiences give us an opportunity to heal those past distresses. But we need methods and we need techniques, we need tools. And uh, once we get involved in doing that, we can kind of peel back the onion and start to release some of those emotional blocks. And as you said, money is one of the big ones. And there are other ones that are big ones. Sex, I think, is another big one. And learning is another big one. And unlearning is one of the things we talk about in Gaia University because we often have to unlearn many of the things that we learn. Also, our worldview, that's another piece that we uh, work on a lot in Gaia, which is where are we coming from? We're a global university, so we have people who are coming from Cameroon or Nigeria or Thailand or uh, Australia, U.S., Mexico, Canada, and so on. And each of us has a worldview that is a 
product of how we have seen the world as we're growing up. And all of these uh, kinds of belief systems need to be looked at. They need to be perhaps discharged. We need to understand where our particular views are coming from and what is impeding us from moving forward for toward whatever vision it is we have of our lives and what our mission might be. So I think this is really, really important work. Um, we have a lot of techniques and tools on the techno technological uh, uh, basis, but we're not making use of those because of those distresses, in my view. And um, it's a very key piece of the work to, as you say, become more vulnerable to uh, feeling those distresses. And it's very painful sometimes to go back to the beginning of the distresses. And uh, yet we do have that opportunity to discharge those emotional blocks and as we discharge them, then we get that opportunity to recuperate our natural intelligence. And that will enable us to be more happy and safe and productive and powerful in the world. And very important work. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've seen again and again when people um, go to the core of their beliefs and the subconscious mind and affect change from that place, um, you know, which, um, you know, pretty much the first seven years of life really develops those emotional patterns and responses and beliefs and then um, we just kind of keep uh, getting triggered and replaying them based on that. So I find the people who are willing to do this personal transformational work, and there are so many effective modalities, um, that, you know, they're able to connect uh, more openly and um, really build value from that sense of connection. Um, it's like they, they can trust themselves more that they won't fly off the handle if someone starts asking for a raise or, you know, it's like they, they have greater um, inner, inner connection and trust and security. And then from that place, it's, uh, you know, greater emotional intelligence allows them to have greater compassion and empathy, like you were describing those qualities of listening and being able to understand the other person and build those um, solid relationships. Um, because so often the business world is kind of seen as, um, you know, you don't want to be emotional or divulge anything personal. And so there's kind of a, a barrier around uh how how people engage with business. Um, any thoughts on, yeah. on that? Yeah. So um, I was just reminded, you know, you spoke very well about the personal, and we can also think about this in terms of the global. Uh, and uh, on a beach in Mazatlan, Albert Bates, who's a great friend, you might have heard of him, and Andrew came up with the word the patrix, uh, the matrix being the matrix of patriarchal oppression. And Andrew has been investigating 
that in connection with climate change and is writing a book called uh, Climate Change in the Patrix. And it's based on that idea that I mentioned about recapitulation. And the investigation leads him to realize that we have had climate changes, maybe not human-induced as we have it now, but we have had huge climate change catastrophes in the past. And in our genetics, these climate change catastrophes, they're embedded in that way as traumas. And so uh, his thesis is that as we are creating this climate change, what we are doing really is the opportunity to heal the past traumas from this historical climate change by then uh, doing that work and therefore using our natural intelligence to deal with climate change. And climate change, as probably you and all your listeners know, is one of the key issues that uh, we're facing as humans on the planet at this moment. And we need to heal ourselves personally and we need to heal our society so that we can make intelligent global decisions around how we are going to deal with what we have already seen huge effects of. So, um, yeah, that kind of brings me to the project that I didn't get to speak about yet, which is the Waterwise Orchard Before you uh, go there, I I would love to hear about the um, Waterwise Orchard. Let's take a... um, quick break just for a minute here and then when we come back we'll dive into that great you get choked up and flush talking about money don't let fear and shame stop you from sharing your value speak up sister find out how to boost your financial communication skills at www.findyourmoneyvoice.com perhaps you're like Gwen a budding creative entrepreneur who wants to provide for her family, but she has a tough time expressing her needs. She chronically undercharges and lays awake at night with money stress. With Crystal's Find Your Money Voice training, she found renewed confidence speaking her self-worth. Transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. With greater clarity and focus, Gwen more confidently negotiated solid agreements and increased her business earnings with the trainings found at findyourmoneyvoice.com. Welcome back. We are here with guest Leora Adler, who is not doing business as usual. She is truly a leader, visionary, and pioneer in uh, not only education, but also how we uh, live together, how we work together. And uh, right now, I would love to hear more about your um, almond uh, project in California. Great. Thank you. So um, this this project came out of a an understanding that uh, especially now in California, we've been undergoing a drought. Uh, for the last four or five years, is the research that my husband Andrew has been doing tells us that this drought is actually part of the last 75 years of more water, more water 
than California is used to. So if we go back historically, this is a wet period. So what does that mean? We can expect more drought into the future, uh, and uh, we need to do something about that. We started with almonds because uh, the Lush Cosmetics Company, who, which uses a great deal of almond meal and almond oil, uh, read a book that was written by two of Guy University's graduates. So there's a connection there, uh, Ethan Rowland and Gregory Landaway, uh, which was called Regenerative Enterprise, the Eight Forms of Capital. And they made a commitment to take their four biggest products that they use in their supply system, and almonds are one of them, and uh, have them come from regenerative sources. So that led them to Andrew and uh, gave him a contract, to a consultancy contract, to investigate how we could grow regenerative almonds in uh, California in a productive way. Now, 84% of the world's almonds come from California. Many people don't realize that. And more than 50% of the food in the United States comes from California. So we're not talking about a very small issue here. We're talking about something that really has huge impact in terms of food resources and in terms of water resources. Now, we're living now in the Cape Valley, which used to be one of the dry farm almond capitals of the world. And uh, people did not use any uh, water. No, there was no irrigation water used generally. Uh, everything was grown with what they call surface water, which is basically the water that comes from rainwater. Now, that became uh, uncommercially viable, uh, yeah, commercially inviable, um, in the 1970s when they started pulling water out of the uh, Sierra region and so on. So anyway, there's a whole story there about why almonds are almost not at all farm dry. And yet our task was to figure out how we could use permaculture techniques because Andrew's a permaculture designer since 1985 and knows quite a lot about things like uh, swales and biochar and compost tea brewing and all of these fantastic techniques for soil amendment uh, and investigate also how we could bring back rootstocks because they were no longer available that would enable us to do this with very small amounts of irrigation. People are using in the almond farming industry, the commercial one, they're using about 48 inches of water, when in fact we get about maybe 6, 8, 12 inches of rain in a good year. So obviously this is not sustainable. This is certainly not regenerative. And so uh, for the last year and a half, Andrew's been investigating how we can bring back those rootstocks. We now have 500 seeds planted for varieties that we believe will uh, rootstocks and then later varieties grafted onto that that we believe will be water-wise. So uh, when I took this course, with Jenny Kasson and uh, Ruby and I got together and said, okay, we're going to make a business that uh, for which we can seek investment because 
we see into the future that people will need both the uh, the material pieces like trees that are water-wise, but also the knowledge of how to do the permaculture soil amendments so that their soils become rich, they hold back water, and uh, therefore less water, much less water is needed. We calculate that we can get by with about the uh, 8 to 12 inches of rain and about another 6 inches that can come also from water retention landscapes. So in permaculture, one of the key pieces is hold your water back on the land. Don't let your water run off. And uh, I, oh, I just, this is a little side note, but I just read an article in the Sacramento Bee about how people were bemoaning the fact that last year we had a bit more rain, but most of that rain was not held back in the Central Valley. It uh, flowed off into the ocean. And so there's a real lack of understanding of what the techniques are. So we need to be able to teach those techniques and to demonstrate them. So we are in the process of doing that. We have these uh, 500 uh, eventual trees uh, on the go. We have a place where we are starting to do the soil amendments that will then enable us to plant the trees uh, several years down the track when they will be almost ready to go into production. And it is our very firm belief that this will not only be a huge demonstration around how we can mitigate climate change by making use of the resources that we have and not needing to change our whole ecological and societal uh, landscape in order to produce the amount of food that we need. Now, of course, we do need to make lots of changes in our society, which we all know. But this is a piece of the puzzle from our point of view. And we are calling our business Waterwise Orchard Works because we're started with almonds, but we're going also into walnuts and uh, intercropping, polyculture, uh, mulching, and so on. Uh, nitrogen-fixing species and so on. Those of you who are familiar with permaculture will understand some of these techniques and these words. And uh, this will enable us to not only make this demonstration for California, but also for any of the dry lands, which, as we know with climate change, we are creating as humans a desert in many places where food cannot be grown and the ability to use minimal water resources and having the variety, having investigated these varieties and knowing what they are that can tolerate drought will be a really important piece. Mm. I love um, what you shared there as far as just... um, mm new ways of of doing business that does uh, acknowledge the value of stewarding the earth, basically. It's like, that should be common sense, but it hasn't been. And so when we move from the extractive mindset into more of a regenerative uh, whole systems design, 
that we can uh, create momentum where there are positive feedback loops, where there is benefit for generations to come. And um, would you like to talk any more about uh, how how you're bringing in the financial capital and how that is also kind of unique? Mm-hmm. So um, we're working on that piece to understand how uh, what is the right money from the right investors. And uh, it's a piece that we have not really um, decided on yet. Um, we're still in the middle of this course. We're three months into it, and that's the next piece that needs to come up. We need to figure out how much money we need because that is obviously a key issue, what we're going to uh, offer to investors and what kind of investment tools we're going to be uh, using and potentially different tools in different phases. You know, so there's there is the possibility of donations. We already have actually received a wonderful donation to both take this course and also to enable Levy uh, to be part of this course. So donation is always an option. Um, crowdfunding is often very good for donations. Uh, then there is investment and. Now crowdfunding with this new Jobs Act can be a way of getting investment so that we could crowdfund and uh, offer people um, a return on investment, but for small uh, amounts of investment, uh, $500 or $1,000, which is uh, a level of investment that many people feel comfortable with because they understand that this is innovation investment and that, well, you know, it's, uh, we want it to work and we have all of the experiential and the uh, capital, the social capital and so on for it to work. But on the other hand, all investments carry a certain risk. So by having people invest a smaller amount of money that they feel co- comfortable that they might potentially not uh, receive a return on. That is another strategy. And then there are larger investments. There are partnerships with corporations. So there are many corporations that Cliff Bars, for example, um, Patagonia is going now into the production of food. These are companies that have a need for organic almonds, which, by the way, uh, are very hard to come by. Many companies are needing to import their almonds from Spain, for example, uh, if they want them to be organic. So these kinds of companies, they have a natural interest in supporting the development of water-wise almond farming. Uh, So those are some of the techniques that we have been investigating and we haven't really uh, made our offerings yet. We're working on it and we would love to uh, have many of your listeners be investors in our business because we think it's a really great model. And one piece I didn't mention, which I think is really important, is that we want our business to be a demonstration of how a business should be run in the new economy. So we're registering this business as a benefit corp and we'll be getting the certification for a B corp, which you may, some of you may have heard of. And our exit strategy for when we become profitable is for this business to become a worker co-op. 
so that mm. uh, it gets turned over by to the workers. And um, we, uh, Levy especially has a lot of experience in working with new economy alternatives, and uh, she was the first employee, for example, of the Public Banking Institute. And Guy University has had a complementary currency system for many years and so on. So we are very interested in having our business be a model for the new economy and how businesses should be run. And just as I mentioned, the fact that this is a woman-led business uh, is a really important piece of that as well. Mm. I love that. I think the cooperative models really are um, going to be the wave of the future. And uh, and also just redefining the, the many, um, you know, you mentioned uh, the book about the eight forms of capital and uh, redefining what a return for an investor looks like is a very interesting conversation because people are motivated at different things in different points of their life. And um, this is also why I've created the True Wealth identifies not only financial wealth, but three other areas being inner, relational, and environmental wealth. And I find that when we have a more whole systems, holistic look at um, both wealth and capital and money, that we um, basically have more capacity. We are making visible the flows of value within the system by acknowledging them, and that then makes the um, whole system more resilient, and, uh, and we really can diversify the investment tools and uh, the ways that people can engage with our business and projects. So I think it's totally brilliant uh, what you're doing here, and it'll be really exciting to see how the um, project and model um, continues to unfold. Um, um, one one other piece that I forgot to mention in our business model is that we will take a percentage of all of the income into our WaterWise Almond business, and that will go towards scholarships in Guy University so that people in countries that have less access to financial resources will be able to complete programs in GAIU, which we think are very key pieces as well for people being able to step out onto a larger stage to understand project and time management and uh, to uh, work on their oppressions and distresses and so on. So there's a real link to the Guy University project with the almond project and uh, or the orchard project because it will be expanded to many different kinds of nut and fruit trees. And I think that that is a model also. Uh, it's one that Levy has brought up, uh, a company that she knows that was started called Rebel. And it was started uh, as a nonprofit, which was called Not For Sale. And the Not For Sale nonprofit was to end slavery in the world. And then Rebel was started as the way to finance the nonprofit organization. And I think we have a similar kind of model uh, with 
the Guy University and the Waterwise Orchard, in which we want the Waterwise Orchard works to be helping to finance what is a not-for-profit, basically, uh, educational institution. We do receive fees for people's tuition fees, but that never is really enough for that as a to be a business that is generating any kind of kind of feeds back onto itself. Whereas the Waterwise Almond uh, or Orchard Works project has that potential to generate the kinds of financial capital that will make the Guy University ecosystem of learning and unlearning be available to many, many more people all over the world who have been wanting to be a part of it but financially have not been able to uh, invest in that kind of educational system for themselves. So it's another piece of the model that I think is a really uh, important one for us to look at. How do our nonprofit activities uh, be supported by these financial capital generating businesses? Mm. I I agree. It's uh it's really brilliant to um encode that generosity and um into your very business and the way that you then can build, you know, um human capital and benefit. You know, it it is. It's again expanding our our idea of what is valuable and what is beneficial beyond the dollars and cents and um I, if people, listeners, are interested in finding out more about either um, the nursery project or Gaia University, um, where can they do that? Okay. So uh, Gaia University has two websites, one in English. That's GaiaUniversity.org, G-A-I-A, for our planet, James Lovelock approach to our planet as an ecosystem. And our Spanish version, which is GaiaUlatina.org. So uh, based out of Chile and Colombia, we also have a Spanish-speaking version of Gaia University. So that's GaiaUniversity.org or GaiaUlatina.org. And uh, we will be posting uh, information about our Waterwise Almond Works on our Guy University. Uh, we have a blog that we send out about every couple of weeks, so it's not uh, something that will clog up your email box, but you can sign up for our newsletter blog on the Guy University website, and we will be giving you reports as things come about, uh, new information about the Waterwise Almond Works project, Orchard mm. project, yeah. Thank you. Excellent. So in the last five minutes or so here, um, I just wanted to open the conversation of the importance of intergenerational exchange and um, really how how can we cultivate resilience through connection um, and resilience for people listening, you know, this ability to respond intelligently instead of react to changing circumstances. And so any thoughts you have on that? Mm -hmm. So 
I think that storytelling and the kinds of conversations, deep conversations with deep listening and using techniques to discharge our emotional distress for women, especially women's groups, uh, I think are really important pieces of it. I mentioned reevaluation counseling as a technique not just to deal with personal oppressions, but also societal oppressions. I think that that is a really wonderful global community uh, in which people can uh, work on their own personal distresses, but also, for example, reevaluation counseling is right now has a global vision of united to end racism. So these kinds of societal oppressions are really important for us to work on as well as our personal ones. Uh, finding other techniques, tapping was one Levy introduced me to this weekend that I found was really also effective at helping people, helping me to discharge. So coming together and uh, talking about this, collaborating with each other, working together on projects, especially uh, projects that are pieces of our own personal vision of how we can be more powerful in the world. Recently read a book called Playing Big, which I enjoyed very much, uh, written by a woman who speaks about how we as women need to expand our vision of how we can play big in this world and not be afraid to speak up and not be afraid to take action and learn the tools and techniques that we need so that when we feel scared, we can communicate that with allies and we can move forward in the world in a more satisfying and powerful way. Mm. Wow. That is so true. I feel like that is is crucial, is uh, us as women stepping into leadership, finding our authentic voice and being able to, um, you know, really, uh, for me, this desire to leave a legacy of true wealth um, for generations to come and just acknowledging you in all um, the work that you've done in this lifetime, Leora, um, leaving such a legacy of value that will, um, you know, how, how visionary you've been and, and setting up some of these templates and designs and, um, you know, intentional living communities and learning communities, uh, which are going to become increasingly important in these uh, transformational times. And so I really want to thank you for sharing your wisdom and insight, which is incredibly unique. And um, I just really appreciate, you know, the the way in which the, the personal and the interpersonal how in this conversation we were also able to bring it to the systems level and your understanding of both both of those scales is really um, incredibly valuable. And so thank you so much for your time today and encourage everyone to... Uh, 
Yeah, to go ahead and, and check out Gaia University and um, really uh, use this as inspiration for, you know, what a life well lived uh, can be and and how uh, you listeners would like to, you know, step up your own work and ability to, uh, you know, speak and relate with money, with uh, other people in a cooperative, collaborative way where we um, truly can affect uh, change at this momentous time in human history um, for generations to come. So thank you for literally planting the trees and figuratively, you know, planting the trees through all of the associates and um, communities that you have uh, nourished over these years that will have fruits to come for many generations. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, I just wanted to end with um, my vision of our creating 200-year plans. I didn't mention this, but I think we all need to think as indigenous people have seven generationally and think beyond our lifetimes. Think what it is that, uh, what are the effects of the decisions we make in our lives into the future. Mm, truly is an honor and a responsibility to be alive and awake at this time in history. And thank you so much for all your contributions today and to the more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible. Thank you, Leora. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.